When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program. It's a feminist podcast. Hello and welcome to Feminism Ruins Everything. We are a feminist podcast where we give critiques to movies, musicals, and pop culture phenomena and potentially ruin them. Potentially. Uh, I'm Ellis Dolan. I am Millicent Saar. Call me Mim, it's easier. Hi, Mim. Um, hey, Ellis. And hello to our guest today, Kirsty oh, Bird. Hi. What up? What's up? What's happening? Thank you for being here with us today. It's all right. Um, we are so excited to have you here. Um, our reasons for having you are threefold. One, um, you're delightful. One, like, you're delightful, truly. Thank you. Um, <laughs> the, the cool thing is, like, Kirsty is my friend. Yes. Um, and she and Ellis met, like, an hour ago and are already vibing. And I'm yeah. like, this is why we, we wanted Kirsty on the podcast, because mm-hmm. she's so personable that, like, you can put her in front of, like, a microphone and somebody mm-hmm. that she doesn't know... And it's going to be a great chat. <laughs> I work in retail. It's my job to pretend to be your friend. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fantastic. Um, have you been pretending this whole time? <laughs> Very impressed if that's the case. Um, but our reasons are threefold. One, you are delightful. No, I've got more than three reasons. <laughs> One, you're delightful. Two, you're going to be able to offer a perspective... Well, a couple of perspectives that Ellis and I don't have, um, being a queer woman uh, and also being a plus-size woman, which is relevant to our discussion today, um, but also, you know, is relevant to your life experience. Um, And also, we want you here, and we're happy that you are here, because you and I met doing a production of Heathers, which is the work we are talking about today. Because I have talked a lot in the first two minutes of this episode. Do you want to tell our listeners about the production that we did? Just like give a like a brief idea of what happened there. Um, yeah. So last year, two thousand nineteen, uh, Mim and I were in a production. Segways production. Segway <laughs> <laughs> uh, Productions. Productions. Yes. Of Heather's. Uh, yeah, Mim played Veronica Sawyer. I did. I played Martha Dump Truck. <laughs> <laughs> um, did, did you, when we got cast jackets, did you not get Dump Truck across the back of your I did, I did just get iconic. Dump Truck. <laughs> uh, no one else got funny names. But yours was <laughs> iconic. Yeah, <laughs> Dump Truck. Uh, Love it. I get a lot of looks when I wear that. People are like, really? <laughs> Yikes. Iconic. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Heathers uh, is a 
film that was made in 1989, starring Winona Ryder and Christian Slater, that was then turned into a musical in 2014. And the cool thing about the musical, um, basically, Kirsty and I are going to give like more of a perspective from the musical because we're very intimately acquainted with it. Um, Ellis is going to give more of a perspective from uh, having watched the movie recently, and we're going to do a bit of a compare and contrast. Um, but the cool thing about the musical, at least, is that like it's never been on Broadway. Um, it's kind of like got a little bit of like cult status. Mm-hmm. But there was this like one production that happened in New York. In, did you say 2015, Alex? 2014. 2014, with, like, Barrett Wilbert and Ryan McCartan and, like, Jessica Keenan Wynn, um, all these people. And it was kind of, like, the starting point of a few of their careers, and they've now gone on to be, like, very successful mm. musical theatre performers, like, on Broadway. But there was this little, like, kind of small off-Broadway production, and it just has all of this, like, cult status. Like, the teens love this musical. Mm. Love it. Yeah. And, like, when we were doing it, there were so many, like, just Heather's fans who knew no one in the cast but were like, Heather's. It's huge. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Like, we were, like, taking, pe- like, pictures of people mm. mm-hmm. who were like, oh, we just love Heather's. People were coming dressed up. Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. To our random Adelaide show. Yeah. Like, people love it. Yeah. People froth over Heather's. Yeah. <laughs> and, like, the musical, like, I think the score is phenomenal. It's a great score. Um, and I think, like, I think the movie itself, like, has a kind of a similar, like, cult status. Yeah, the, the movie, like, I, I kind of, like, first heard about Heathers because of this movie being somewhat culty. I think, again, it was, like, at the beginning of Winona Ryder and mm-hmm. Christian Slater's career. I think both the writer and director, this was their debut film. Yeah. So it was, like, it was like really kind of underground that has just kind of grown in, in cult popularity and become one of those, like, mainstay 80s teen movies, I yeah. think. Yeah, yeah. And now it's like one of the, like, I think when people list off, like, oh, here are some musicals to listen to to, like, get into this genre and, like, understand music theatre, it's one of the first things that people reel off. Mm. And that's so random to me because it's never even been on Broadway. Like, there was a yeah. really sick West End production of it mm. that I was lucky enough to see, um, just name dropping slightly. <laughs> uh, I met Carrie Hope Fletcher, it's fine. Um, in 2017, I reckon. Um, so, like, it's been on West End, mm. but not on Broadway. There has been a production in Australia. There have been multiple productions in Australia. Mm. Uh, but I think I think Lucy Mondo was in the Australian production, cool. if there was a tour. Um, so, yeah, so it's, it, it is, like, it's a, it's a big deal, even though it hasn't made a Broadway debut. Yeah. People just love Heathers. They do. And there's a lot of good reason to it, like... Score is great. Yeah. The book's funny. And the reason that we like it is because there's there's a lot of women in it. Yeah. So many women. It's kind of feminist as fuck. <laughs> and honestly, that was one of the reasons that I was attracted to wanting to do it, and especially to the role of Veronica. Like to me, she's such a like a feminist icon, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um Yeah, let's talk about the women in Heathers. Yeah. I definitely latched onto Heather's like really early because I saw a plus size female role mm. and went, oh, this is something I could actually do. Mm. Um, and yeah, I think it's really easy to, you know, attach yourself to musicals when you can see yourself in them. So 100%. true. Yeah. Representation is everything. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. And so, yeah, I just like latched onto Martha and was like, oh, I love her. <laughs> what a beautiful woman. Um, yeah. And mm. there's just so much space in this musical for women to thrive. 
Oh, that's so true. Yeah. And they're they're also dynamically different. Like you you have on yeah. one end you have on one end you have Martha who is like sweetness personified yeah. and just lovely and kind to everybody. Like the only redeeming character in this whole <laughs> show. And then and then every other person kind of fits on that like shades of grey, good or yeah. bad morality spectrum until you get probably to to Heather Duke yeah, at the other end yeah. who's kind of irredeemable in every way. Yeah. But like <laughs> but no two female characters in this film or, or show are the same. Yeah. And how rare is that? Yeah. Like the oh, fact that they all yeah. have very distinct like personality yeah. traits and they're all very like like distinctly defined from one another. That's mm-hmm. yeah, that's uncommon. Mm. Yeah. For like so many women as well. Like you've got the free Heathers and Veronica and Martha and Miss Fleming. Yeah. Have I missed anyone? They're probably the main ones. Yeah. Yeah. And then you, you can go into like uh, Veronica's parents, uh, mm, mother yeah. and 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 whatnot. But uh but yeah the fact that there's there's what we just rattled off six different women, all of whom like very strong characters in their own right, very separate from like very individual um, characteristics from one another, and, yeah. and just and and that's just kind of it's so normalized within the show. It's so so cool. Yeah, and I guess like you can have a lot of women and still have the dynamic between the women be, you know, not a positive one. Like mm-hmm. obviously the relationship that Veronica has with the Heathers yeah. uh, and the and the relationship that Veronica has with Martha, the fact yeah. that it starts off as a wholesome friendship yeah. and Veronica freaking backstabs her. Mm. Terrible. Toxic Veronica. <laughs> yes, toxic. Veronica goes through a real toxic phase. Uh, don't love that for her. Um, but yeah, like the fact that she is like, that Veronica is like, okay, I just need to survive high school. I'm just going to get these women on my side. They're terrible people, but they're going to be what gets me through my senior year. Um, you know, it's not it's not a positive relationship. Like, there's mm. not a like a positive friendship between um, Veronica and any of the Heather's, and they're kind of they're really awful to one another. Mm. But that that doesn't undermine the importance of having that many women mm. like depicted on your stage. Yeah. Uh, let's start our discussion uh, with Veronica, our our heroine Veronica, of the piece. Veronica, Veronica. <laughs> now, Mim, you played Veronica. In, in this production, so you know the character quite well. To be perfectly frank with you, I think that it's going to be a similar situation of me being like, Ellis, were you in School of Rock? <laughs> like, today you guys are going to be like, did you, um, <gasps> no. did you play Veronica you Sawyer? Veronica oh Sawyer. my god. You did it. Like, that's, I, I did. Oh. <laughs> like, that's going to be the, the running gag of this episode, I feel. Um, but yes, I played this role. Oh god, I love her. Um, like I said, like, obviously she goes through a really toxic phase, and her... Um, her ethics and her decision making like definitely uh, take a turn for the worse like throughout the show like she starts as like being fairly put together and going I'm just gonna get through and try and be a good person like the the whole point of the opening number I think is her going we can be better than this like yeah. we can be better than the uh, the monsters that high school has turned us into, like the monster, like high school and our hormones, I suppose. Um, but basically, she's going, "Oh, we all have the potential to be good people," and then she's the one whose um, whose moral potential really like plummets throughout the show. Um, but I love this character because she's so flawed, and it is so much more satisfying to play a flawed character and to play somebody who um, 
who goes through this many ups and downs than it is to play someone that is just stagnant the whole time. Mm. Um, and I also think that she, a lot of what she personifies to me is like, there's a lot of sex positivity there. Mm. Um, like I think like dead girl walking would probably be in my top 10 musical theater songs written ever. (laughs) Like it's so good. Oh, I remember the first time I ever heard it, and I was like, "I'm sorry, this song is perfect." Yeah, um, it's a banger. A banger. Mm-hmm. It's about like female sexual empowerment, yeah. and you get to belt top G's, <laughs> or if your mimsa scrote them in a thick mix and hope no one knows the difference. <laughs> um, for for anybody who who doesn't know, Dead Girl Walking is the moment in the show where there's just been a big party. Veronica has, like, angered Heather Chandler, the, the queen the mythic bitch, bitch. Mythic bitch. Mythic bitch. Um, and uh, Heather Chandler's just been like, on Monday you are going to die. I'm going to ruin you. I'm yeah. going to kill you. Whatever it is. And so Veronica's like, oh, I'm, I'm a dead person. What am I going to do with it? I'm going to go fuck that cute guy that I've been obsessed <laughs> with because I've never done anything like that before. But fuck. It, I'm gonna do yeah, it now. Yeah, because uh, yeah, because I'm I've got 48 hours to live. Like, yeah, if I'm gonna die, I might as well get off. <laughs> yeah, like <laughs> exactly. That was my motivation <laughs> for that song. Uh, which which I thought uh, which I thought was interesting because in the movie, uh, there that scene doesn't really exist. Yes, Veronica and JD sleep together, but he kind of just like creeps up to her house and is like, "Hey, what are you doing?" And they do it. Whereas like Veronica taking complete control. Mm of herself in the situation yeah. is so empowering. Yeah. The song is so sexually empowering. And for a performer it is as well. Like, oh my God. Um, and it, it just kind of cements to me. I had a lot of chats with um, Ben Stefanoff about this, who directed the production that we did. And I was like, I'm not sure that in the 80s, Veronica would be a feminist because I don't think that she would have much of a concept or much access to like feminist rhetoric and discussion, but she 100% would be in 2019, 2020. I was like, Veronica is like, has the capacity to be a feminist if she knew about it. And the the line that I attached to uh, that is the fact that she says, let's go, you know, the drill I'm hot and pissed and on the pill. <laughs> and I'm like, Hey, in the eighties, like how likely was it that a high schooler had access to oral contraception? Like <laughs> not, I like, honestly, I think that it was probably just, a really good lyric yeah. and they were like this probably isn't historically accurate but damn it's good um but yeah i think that the the sex positivity angle is really really um driven home in this song and i think that is one of my favorite feminist moments in the show if not in music theater full stop there, there was a moment in the film that really stood out to me where this uh they're at a college party and this drunk older guy is kind of being really sleazy and hitting on her. And she shuts him down so quickly and yes. so forcefully. And she's just like, she's like, I have a speech that I give to people who try to, um, who try to copulate with me or whatever, but you're not fucking worth the speech. <laughs> and just like walks out. It's, it's so cool. And it's, it's just, oh, it's so nice to see somebody like in control. And also somebody like that, young and impressionable Mm. um or or at an age where you are more impressionable to be so um to have grasped their concept that concept so well 100 percent 
Let's talk about, because it kind of feeds in from the dead girl walking discussion, let's talk about the Veronica-JD dynamic. Uh, we just want to give a trigger warning here. We are about to start talking about uh, abusive relationships, so we've put timestamps in the description if you want to skip this section. So the relationship between JD and Veronica is... Uh, it's, it's abusive and, and manipulative. Um, so not, not a great relationship. Mm. But that's also the point. Yeah. Like, yeah. to me, Heather's is such a satirical piece, and it it goes way too far with its depictions of things and how characters respond to things in order to make a point or to highlight how bad those issues are. And I think it does that a lot with Veronica and JD mm. because he is not a good partner at no, all. No, no, no. Like, your partner doesn't manipulate you into being an accessory to murder. <laughs> no. Just a hot take. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I think we were talking about this before we started recording. Um, we discussed during our Phantom episode the fact that um, there's a really abusive dynamic between Christine and the Phantom, and that's problematic because it's never critiqued. And like the fact that the Phantom is like kind of abusive and kind of controlling and kind of possessive of Christine is like kind of portrayed as sexy. Whereas in Heather's, you definitely start out feeling attracted to JD. Like, Ellis has a crush on Christian Slater. I was so surprised at how attracted to Christian Slater I was, and like, until he started killing people. Mm. Uh, but he, like, but even so, you, you got it. Like, yeah. you, <laughs> I, I felt the film did a really good job at kind of like conveying why Veronica was attracted to JD in the first place. And it gets you sucked in and wrapped up and props to Christian Slater. Um, and also props to Ryan McCartan because he's yeah. so good in that role. Oof. So that when, when JD does start killing people, mm. you you are, are taken aback in the same way that Veronica is because this person that you, you were interested in and was so mysterious and enticing is suddenly really bad and you then have the same conflicted feelings yeah. that Veronica does. Mm. Mm. But I think it's just, like, it's the fact that you are kind of lured in to his, like, sex appeal and mystery, and then he flips the switch and shows you his true colours, and then he's fully portrayed as the villain is the distinction yeah. here. And that's why this portrayal of abuse and manipulation is mm. actually a positive one because it's critiquing that dynamic. Yeah. 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 Let's talk about the representation of, like, toxic masculinity and rape culture in this work. Because it's palpable. It's yeah. thick. It's, you can... it's, it's like, it's, it's a thick layer underneath yeah. everything that is Heather's. Mm-hmm. Is this just really toxic masculinity. It's generational. 100%, yeah. You see it in every one of the young male characters that it's been taught mm-hmm. by their fathers. Yeah, mm. yeah, that's mm. so illustrative, yeah. Yeah. And the thing that surprised me about the film in particular was that it was written and directed by men. Mm. Mm. And, uh, Mim, who, who wrote and directed it? 
Uh, it was directed by Michael Lehman and it was written by Daniel Waters. Um, and same goes for the musical. I believe the musical was also uh, written by men. Um, yeah, so the music was Lawrence O'Keefe and Kevin Murphy and they also wrote the book and the lyrics. So it was like a, mm. they did everything but there was two of them. Yeah. Uh, and the thing that surprised me is there is so much uh, critique of toxic masculinity yeah. and, and of rape culture and so many p- positive portrayals of women uh, that for 1989, mm. I was like, surely this was written by a woman. Yeah. Surely. Yeah. And I was very pleasantly surprised yeah. to find out that it was a guy making these critiques. Yeah. Like, yeah. props to you, Daniel Waters. Well Daniel played. Waters. <laughs> Danny boy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, sorry for giving you a crap nickname, Daniel Waters. <laughs> um, let's talk. Yeah, so there's kind of, I love what you mentioned, Kirsty, about like the generational stuff, how you see mm. like mm. JD's dad being this like demolitionist. Mm. Yeah. And the fact that he's got this huge violence streak and he gets off on violence, which he's clearly passed on to JD. Yeah. Uh, and then you see like Kurt and Ram's dads mm. like being so misogynistic and like. Capital B bloke kind of oh, thing. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like the fact that I believe the exact words that Ram's dad says are. Like, oh, if I get a call from the neighbours, I'm going to come back here and knock the sand out of your vagina. Mm. What a line. What a line. (laughs) Um, In that whole, like, bullying scene and, like, who's going to go to prom in a dress? Yeah. This just disgusting, constantly, like, it is less to be a woman. Yeah. And you also see... The dads use like the same catchphrases. Yeah. Like the oh punch it in. Yeah. Like they say and like it's clearly been I was passed down. Yeah. yeah. I was just um It's like a family heirloom. Yeah. What what a happy one. Except yeah. instead of silverware, you get generational toxic masculinity and misogyny. <laughs> Outstanding. It's no wonder that Kurt and Ram are the stereotypical bully misogynists that mm. they are. Yeah. Who mm. uh attempt to date rape mm, two yeah. of the Heathers in the in the, the and musical. Veronica and Veronica mm. it's um we are about to start discussing sexual assault uh so if you want to skip this section we've put the time stamps in the description below and just skip this bit the film portrays it in a way that it's ambiguous whether or not Heather McNamara and I think it's Kurt are well, how consensual right. their copulation is. Because the, there, there is a moment where uh, Kurt or Ram, they're, they're almost interchangeable, uh, and for somebody who never remembers character names, uh, are... This has been a struggle for you, Alice. Um, in the film, Heather McNamara says, Veronica, can you, can you please come on this double date? Um, Kurt won't go out with me unless Ram has somebody and Ram doesn't have anybody. And... <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and it it has uh, Veronica rejecting Kurt or Ram uh, on the day, just going like, no, no way, nothing's going to happen here. You're a drunken idiot. And in the background, you see Heather and Kurt or Ram, whichever one it is. Um, I'm pretty sure it's Kurt. I think it's Kurt. Yeah. Uh, they are they are engaging in sexual activity, and it's very dubious as to how consensual right. it yeah. is. Yeah. And it's it's very like the scene doesn't linger on it, but it's very prominent to let you know that there is that 
uncertainty and you can't help but watch the rest of it without being really uncomfortable right yeah yeah um, which again, props to Daniel Waters. The fact yeah. is it Wal- yeah. Waters or Walters? Waters. No, Waters. Great. Um, the fact that he's like 1989. It's important that we're engaging in thinking about whether or not our sexual contact is consensual. Like yeah. that. That was not at the forefront of discussion yeah. in the late 80s. Yeah. I mean, I wasn't there. <laughs> I wasn't around in the late 80s. We can guess. Um, but yes, it's yeah. my hot take that it wasn't like at the forefront yeah. of public discussion. Judging by how public discussion went through the 90s, early 2000s, late yeah. 2000s, 2010s, yeah. and currently, <laughs> yeah. we can only assume yeah. uh, that 1989 yeah, like, wasn't yeah. the pinnacle of feminist discourse. Yeah, like the Me Too movement happened three mm. years ago. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that sort of when consent mm. became, all right, this is something that we are publicly discussing now, yeah. you know? Jeez. Yeah. yeah. Which is a bit terrifying, really. Terrifying. Um, but it's important that it's common knowledge and good that it's common knowledge now. Mm. But in, in, at no point in the show's depiction of date rape uh, and rape culture does it let it get away with it. Yeah. It is constantly yeah. critiqued, constantly mm. framed as this thing that is not okay um to the point where they kill like kurt and ram are killed because because of of it it. yeah Yeah. and i mean jd does not have any redeeming features and the fact that he sees that as an appropriate response is not good and again is like toxic masculinity and the fact that he's like oh you tried to assault my girlfriend uh i'm gonna kill you like how much of that is him saying that he wants to protect Veronica patriarchal and how much of that is that saying him saying oh you tried to sleep with my woman patriarchal Mm. um (laughs) like it's not a good response but still at the same time it is it's definitely an action that is denounced Mm. yeah um it's interesting that there are two ways that it's tackled in the musical because there are two versions of this scene yeah yeah because you don't want to tell our listeners about that yeah so in the original um writing of Heathers, there was this song, uh, Blue, mm-hmm. which was the scene in which Kurt and Ram attempt to date rape Veronica. Mm-hmm. Very funny song. Yeah. Very funny. Like charming. Charming. Mm. Hilarious. Yeah. Wanna... You make my balls, balls so, so blue. blue. Oh, like... it's painful. What a cute line. Cute. And it's like... It's like like croonery and kind of jazzy. Take my balls home to meet your parents. <laughs> Naturally. Naturally. It's, it's, a, it's a very charming and very coated in irony song. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. But still has a funky jazzy song about yeah. date rape. Easy to sing along to. Yep. Shouldn't be. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so then in... When did they rewrite it? Like 2016? I, I actually think what happened is that they rewrote it when they released the high school version of Heathers. Ah. So they were like, oh, we can get yeah. away with a lot of stuff. And like they, they rewrote mm. some of the lyrics of Dead Girl Walking mm. to make it not quite as explicit. Mm. And like they, they changed a few things here and yeah. there. But they were like, there's no way we can change blue. No. Because the leading line is, you make my balls so Blue. It's so explicit. You yeah, there's no way it. that you're gonna like make yeah. like get away with that in a high school with high school parents in the mm-hmm. audience. Like, yeah, no. <laughs> yeah. So they decided to rewrite it, um, as they did with a lot of things. In yeah. The show. They changed yeah. it up to make it 
uh, hopefully better, yeah, easier to digest, and not to make it so uh, satirical, not trying to make so so much light, yeah, 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 such a heavy topic. Mm. So they wrote "You're Welcome," um, which is a bit more explicit and more uncomfortable. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it's an it's Mm. an awful situation, but it's like the situation is being depicted actually accurately. Yeah. Mm. As opposed to having uh, the two men sing a song at Veronica, the two men are singing a song and Veronica interrupts yeah. to kind of hammer home the message of what you are doing is wrong. wrong. And so Veronica's voice yeah. is present in your welcome where it really isn't in blue. Yeah, in yeah. blue she's like, oh, this is a bit gross. Yeah. Not interested. Mm-mm. Whereas in, you actually see, she actually has a lead line where she directly discusses to the audience like, I'm not comfortable with this. This is yeah. how I'm trying to figure out how to escape from this very dangerous scenario. Yeah. In my head, it's like very opposite ends of the spectrum. And they took Blue and they were like, look, even though if you look at it from a purely satirical frame, yes, it is still critiquing rape culture. Like, it's it's not, you're not on the side of, you shouldn't be on the side of Curtin Ram. But because you've packaged it in this like kind of sweet, funny song... You're kind of on their side. You're like, oh, yeah. look at them, bless them. Yeah. Gonna... Boys will be boys. Oh, snap. Yeah. Um, and so I guess they got... I, I think I actually read somewhere that in retrospect, they kind of rushed that song and they were like, this is funny, we need something here, cool. And then in retrospect, they were like, I don't think we did justice to this important issue, mm-hmm. which I fully commend as a way of... Um, as a way of learning when you messed up and yeah. when you've gone, oh, I made a mistake here mm. rather than like being like, oh, no, I stand by it. It's yeah. good. A good song. They were like... It was okay at the time. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. We we yeah. we didn't do anything wrong because it was fine in 2014 to say that. Um, we, <laughs> side note, I think that everyone's a little bit racist from Avenue Q should be rewritten. Just a hot take. Mm-hmm. Um mm. They've got a little bit sidetracked there. But basically, <laughs> instead of getting defensive about it, they were like, look, we can do better. And yeah. they, did, they did. But I think they almost overcompensated. And yeah. they were like, we are going to make it so obvious that we are critiquing these actions yeah. and that this is a critique of toxic masculinity and rape culture that they almost went too far. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's very heavy-handed. Like, it's all very. your fault that we're inflamed, is one of the yeah. lyrics. Like, it's very... Um, explicit yeah. and obvious mm. to the point of it almost being too obvious. Yeah. yeah. And I guess I guess maybe it stands out because everything else is, again, dipped in this la- layer of irony and sarcasm mm. and mm. and satire, satirizing high school life and popularity and, and like everything in Heathers is being satirized. That for this one song to come out and be too explicitly, yeah. this is the wrong thing, listen to us criticize it mm. kind of stands out and maybe doesn't flow as well yeah, with the rest of the I piece. I never thought it fit. Mm. It felt very like stand out. It felt like it was added in mm-hmm. after. You can yeah, really yeah. feel like, oh, mm. this is not written at the same time. Yeah. Um, it almost feels like an afterthought. Mm. I mean, that's what it is. It is, it yeah. is an afterthought. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's just a lot. Yeah. At the same time, though, I think that even if it doesn't fit quite right and it feels mm. like it's overcompensating and really mm. heavy-handed in hammering mm. home this critique, I think that's better 
yeah. than yeah. than completely glossing over it and being like, oh, rape culture. Yeah. Which is kind of what Blue yeah. does, I think. Blue definitely excuses it. Yes. You're 100%. like, oh, but the boys were joking. Mm. Um, they were singing a funny song. It was, yeah, yeah. it was like funny. Yeah. They referenced Princess Leia. They can't be bad. It can't be. They were going to put a top hat on their testicles. <laughs> Hilarious. Yeah. Boys will be boys. Uh. <laughs> but then again, immediately after that, they are both killed for yeah. their actions. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's it's very telling that, like, Heathers doesn't really let any character get away with their no. transgressions. Yeah. Least of all, JD. Yeah. Uh, like, it, it's, it's, it, it's, it's, again, back to, to what we were saying about Phantom. It does the opposite of that. And anybody who should be critiqued is critiqued. And anybody who mm. should have repercussions for their dreadful actions mm. get those dreadful actions. I would argue, repercussions. I would argue that Heather Duke doesn't. No, I don't think she does. Uh, I think she's yeah. the only person that doesn't have the comeuppance that she deserves. Yeah, she has. She has everything kind of taken from her. Mm, that's true. Like her, she she spent so long trying to get that power that Heather Chandler had, and at the end of it, uh, Veronica literally rips the scrunchie from her hands. Yeah, it's like she finally had that like queen bee status, and yeah, mm-hmm. yeah it's taken away from her. But again, I suppose that. You know, even if you do mess up, you don't deserve to die. Yeah. yeah. Like, it's almost as if, in Heather Duke's case, it's like, okay, here's somebody that has done wrong by just about everyone in this show mm. um, and has done some really reprehensible things. Like, there's the whole of Shine a Light reprise where she tries to bully Heather Mack into killing herself. Um, please know we're going to go into a little bit of a discussion about suicide later. We'll give a specific trigger warning when we do and we'll put um, the timestamp in the episode description so you know which part to skip if you don't want to hear that. Um, But yeah, Heather Duke is horrible to everyone and especially to Heather McNamara. And then she does get her power taken away but it almost feels like there's this hopeful maybe she might actually become a better person because she's been given the opportunity to do so. Mm. You know? Yeah. Didn't you say Veronica has a line where she wonders what kind of people Kurt and Ram would have grown up to be if they hadn't been killed? Yeah, it's one of my favourite lines in the whole show. Um, It's... It's a reprise. Actually, no. It's a weird. It's a pre-prize of seventeen because you haven't had seventeen yet. But it's the melody for seventeen at the start of Act Two, right before their funeral. The lyric is, um, "They were just seventeen. They still had room to grow. They could have turned out good, but now we'll never know." Like mm. the fact that they could have been given the opportunity to grow and learn and become better people, mm. and they weren't because they were killed, murdered. Mm. Murdered. There are a lot of bad people in the show. A lot of, so many. <laughs> so, so many, like, flawed characters. Let's talk about the one kind of shining beacon of light in the show. And that's, me? And that's you. It's me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Martha. Tell us about Martha. Martha is an absolute angel. Yes. Just to round it all off. Um, <laughs> she's... Veronica's best friend, mm. who has been Veronica's best friend since they were children. Um, Martha is in love with Ram. <laughs> they had a kiss <gasps> on the kickball field Ooh. in kindergarten. Uh, and she's been in love with him She ever hasn't since. gotten over it. Um, and Martha's only sin is being fat. Ah, uh, yes. Mm. Ah, yes. Ah, yes. That old chestnut. That old chestnut. <laughs> so, the... 
you mentioned, you alluded to this earlier, mm. the fact that you saw a plus size woman mm. in a role and you were like, I could play her. I could play her. And can you tell us and our listeners just about how rare of a thing that is? It's just not a thing. Mm. It's just not a thing. As a plus size woman who loves musical theatre, um, there's two roles for me. Yeah. There's Tracy Turnblad. <laughs> Yes. The white saviour. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Yo, we're going to do an episode on yeah. spray, and that's going to be uh, time. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And then yeah. there's a few more. There's like three-ish more, but they're for women of colour, mm. which is not bad. No. Um, like we want to see... We want to see women of colour on the stage. Please yeah. and thank you. Um, but for a person that looks like me, a plus-size white woman, there's two roles. And uh, it's just so exclusionary. Mm. It's not that... Veronica couldn't have been played by a plus size no, woman. because she absolutely could be. She could mm-hmm. be. There's nothing that says that she couldn't be. But it, the, it just doesn't exist in musical theatre mm. for us. It's not normalised at all to have anyone above like a size 12 yeah. play uh, any kind of lead role. Mm. I lied, guys. Um, there's that woman in... Les Mis. I don't remember what her name is. Madame Tenardier. Madame Tenardier. <laughs> oh, you would crush that role. Oh, Absolutely. But it's like, that's oh, a great role. You're Do you know right, how many so you can times be funny. I've been told that I would crush Madame Tenardier? Because what else is a fat woman but funny? Mm. Like, what else am I good for? Nothing. Mm. Um, and we were saying... Well, like, funny or, like, Martha, like, absolutely... Oh, so sad. Like, <laughs> sad and, like, uh, virtuous because mm. it makes up for the fact that she's fat. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Mm. You compare that to the way that plus size men are represented. Like, I, yeah. I've, I've had the great fortune of playing Dewey Finn, who I think mm. is one of the greatest musical theatre roles for anyone ever. Mm. And the fact that he is allowed to be as big as he is, and it's almost kind of like important that he is a big guy because mm. he's not, he's not, you know, not what you would usually expect the leading man to be. And he goes mm. and he does all this stuff. And it's like, well, he did all of that and he's that big. Yeah. Mm. Like it's almost celebrated for men in yeah. a way yeah. that it isn't for women. Like there's a real sense of body positivity around you, I feel. Yeah. That there isn't for any, mm. like, fat female character, no. I would say. See, for Tracy, it's not a celebration. It's, oh, we love you despite the fact that you're fat. Yeah. yeah. And it's... also there's that whole business with Link about like, yeah. oh, it's so good of him to be attracted oh, to a fat woman. Amazing. Yeah. Like, Go we're going to... Yo, we're going to have an episode on hairspray. It's oh, going to... Yeah. <sighs> Hairspray's a big one to tackle. going to be a time. Ooh, there's oh, there's a lot of issues. You, <laughs> didn't you say that you, as a kid, saw... Yes. A when I was about 11 or 12... I went to Melbourne, did a trip with my mum, a five-hour drive, so excited to see her. Stunning. Saw it, and uh, obviously saw Tracy on stage and uh, flipped to This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. 
It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. Her page in the program, and uh, she was not a plus-size woman. They had a skinny woman in a fat suit. Because, you know, there aren't any roles no. for skinny women in musical theatre. <laughs> of course not. <laughs> Absolutely not. What is that? That's it, so it goes. That's so <laughs> humble. Me, as a chubby 12-year-old, yeah. went, oh, well, I really can't do musical theatre. Like, yeah, exclusionary is yeah. the word. That's, yeah, that's shit. Mm. And I think similarly... Like you said, like there's no reason that, that Veronica can't be a plus size woman. Mm. There's no reason that most characters yeah. in musical theatre can't be plus size women, unless you know it's like Regina George and she literally has a lyric where her line is, "I never weigh more than one fifteen. Yeah, like there are so few scenarios where you have to be thin to play it, but there's such a bias because because we don't see it. Like representation is so important, and we're just not giving that to fat women in musical theatre. No. We just are not. And I feel so sad for 12-year-old Kirsty. Oh, me yeah. too. I feel so sad for, like, 12-year-old <laughs> little chubby girls now. Because they don't yeah. see themselves they on stage. They don't see themselves at all. It's exhausting. Or just in mainstream media. Yeah. Like, yeah. I, I remember when I decided to, like, study performing arts. I was like, oh, but should I, like, there's, there's no space for me mm. in an arts, like, in an arts environment. Yeah. In any kind of career. I was like, oh, like, if I actually pursue this... There's three roles for me. Yeah. And nothing else. Yeah. And also, like, as a 21-year-old, you're not going to play Madame Tenardier. Like, no. see you in 20 years. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, Catch you later. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think there's just nothing. Mm. Um, and it's not wanted. Um, and, yeah, yeah it's, 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 it's harmful. Yeah. So, casting directors, anyone that has, is in any position of power mm. to be able to change who we're seeing on our stages and on our screens yeah. and uh, in our media at large, please do your best to start putting fat women in the spotlight. Normalize yeah. bigger bodies. Yeah. yeah. It's fine. It's not hurting you. No, it's not at all. Yeah, yeah but it's, it is helping 12-year-old Kirsty Birch. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Kirsty, talk to us a little bit more about the character of Martha. She's all right. Mm. She's okay. She's good. Um, she doesn't have much of an arc. Mm. Her arc is very sudden. It is. <laughs> and then it's over very quickly. Yeah. Um, and it's also, it's mostly centred around the fact that she is fat. Yeah, that's well. it. Like, um, she's there to be put down by yep. the other characters. Uh, she's there to show how shitty the other yeah. characters are. Mm-hmm. Um, and apart from that, she doesn't, really do much yeah and then mm. all of a sudden she's suicidal mm. halfway but through act two i think that's very powerful 
Right. Because I think suicide is so quiet. Do we give a trigger warning now? Yeah, let's, yeah, do let's that. give this trigger warning now to say we're about to get into a discussion about suicide. Yeah. So um, skip it if you'd like to. Yeah. Again, for those who don't know the plot of Heather's, um, uh, JD and Veronica, quote unquote, accidentally kill Heather Chandler and then stage uh, <laughs> stage her suicide yeah. mm-hmm. uh, to to get away with it. And then they do mm-hmm. something similar with uh, Kurt and Ram. Mm-hmm. And so that kind of leads to <laughs> a suicide craze, for lack of a better term, where suddenly you have all these popular kids committed, who have committed suicide and it almost comes off or people like take it as like, oh, that's the cool thing to do mm. yeah. to the point where Martha, who has been kind of put down mm. upon and, and has suffered quietly mm. for most of the story, mm. uh, does attempt to kill herself. You then have Heather Duke saying, oh, she's just trying to copy the cool kids and she yeah. can't even do that mm. right. But I really like the, what you said, Kirstie, like suicide is quiet. Yeah, it really comes out of nowhere. Like, Martha's so happy. She's always there for everyone, despite the fact that they are so brutally Mm. awful to her. Mm -hmm. Um, Veronica and her haven't spoken for a long time. The time frame of this is a bit weird. No one's entirely sure how long Heather's spans over. Um, (laughs) But it's obvious that, like, it's been some time. Veronica's treated her very badly. Mm Um, but she still cares so much. So she comes to Veronica when she's so stressed about the fact that she knows something's wrong with JD. Mm. Um, and she's like, I know we're not really friends anymore, but um, I, I care about you and I need this for you. I need, I need this to be okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and Martha's just grasping at straws yeah. to have her friend back. Yeah. And um, Veronica, rather than seeing it as a mm. moment of reconciliation, being like, Martha's looking out for me. This yeah. could be my out from the abusive abusive dynamic that is my relationship goes, oh no, I have to destroy Martha Mm. so as to cover up for the Mm. fact that my boyfriend's been going around killing people and she delivers this vitriolic Mm. rampage onto Martha and I truthfully had the worst time saying that to your face, (laughs) Kirstie Birch, as someone who is a blessing in my life and you looked so devastated the whole time and I was like, I'm a horrible person. <laughs> it, was, it was brutal. It was really cool. Uh, but yeah, it is brutal. Like, you just absolutely slaughter her and then um, she's got nothing left. She's got no one to tell that she's suicidal. Mm-hmm. We don't see her parents or anything. We don't know explicitly what's going on at home. But you, all you can see is what's shown and that's her relationships at school. Mm. And um, she hasn't got anyone. Yeah. She, hasn't, she just doesn't have anyone um, and she sees, she's seen all of this suicide. Um, other people can do it. Why can't I? And I don't have anyone that would care. Mm. She doesn't think anyone is going to care if she is or isn't there. Yeah. Um, so, of course, she feels like she's just got no other option. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, I do think that that kind of... We're, we were talking a little bit before we started recording that we're not quite sure how we feel about the representation of suicide yeah. in this piece. Like, it's kind of... It feels a bit hit and miss. It's very tricky. But I do think that the thing that Martha highlights is the fact that because after mm. every one of these people died, everyone came out and, like, was saying wonderful things about them. Like, the entirety yeah. of The Me Inside of Me, the song is um, the fact that Heather Chandler, who we all know was a horrible person, um, then ev- like becomes this kind of martyr. Mm. So it 
to me, part of the critique is that um, there's almost like a little bit of like, oh, I don't know if I want to say this word, but like fetishization of suicide. Like yeah. the fact that, oh, everyone's going to love you and remember you fondly after you're dead. And I think that is a big issue in like Oklahoma, for example, like the whole poor Judd is dead yeah. like business. That's terrible. I think that's a huge issue with 13 Reasons Why. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like the fact that kids that might have been on the brink of suicide could have watched that and yeah. gone, oh, yep. everyone seems to hate me now, but at least if I die, they'll say nice things about mm-hmm. me after I'm dead, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I think that that's, I think that that element mm-hmm. of it is, um, yeah. is criticized and critiqued yeah. through Heather's mm-hmm. as is, I reckon the fact that, um, that people like to make other people's suicides about themselves. Yeah. It's very performative. Yes. Very performative. Mm-hmm. Um, so after Heather Chandler supposedly commits suicide, Miss mm. Fleming makes it about herself, yeah. gets TV cameras in, yeah. and it's like, look how much we as teachers in this school care about our students and are doing for our students um, because they've committed suicide, and that's so sad for me mm. as a teacher. Yeah. There, there are so many instances of that throughout the movie. Like in, in that mm. moment when the TV cameras are coming in, uh, and like people have been giving interviews on all these news stations, uh, and you have one kid who's like, "Oh, I'm going to need a copy of this video uh, from my Princeton application." <laughs> oh my god! That's yeah, and it's and the, there's so much of so much of that, so so much mm. criticism. I think that's summarized by the one line that Miss Fleming says mm. in "Dead Girl Walking" reprise. So, in order to escape from JD's abusive violent tirade that happens like, towards the end of the story um veronica fakes her own suicide so that he thinks that she's dead and will stop coming after her mm. and so she arrives back at school because she knows that he's about to try and blow up the school um and she runs into miss fleming performative this is about me um teacher and miss fleming's like oh veronica Jason Dean told us you just committed suicide. And she's like, what the line is like, oh, he's wrong about a lot of things. And Miss um, Fleming goes, oh, well, I put together a lovely tribute. <laughs> it's not like, oh, so glad you're not dead. It's like, oh, well, I was going to get kudos for mourning you really well. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> bit rude. I think that kind of summarizes the critique for me. Yeah. But then what's more interesting is how everyone reacts after Martha's suicide. <gasps> yes. Well, a suicide attempt, not Mm -hmm. suicide. Um, In saying, uh, she just wanted to imitate the popular kids. Mm. Um, And no one takes the fact that this poor girl just tried to kill herself. Mm -hmm. Seriously. Mm. It's like, oh, well, of course Martha tried and failed. Mm. Um, And that's, I think... Um, very critiquing of how our society does react. Yeah, because if she had actually been successful... How sad would it have yeah. been for poor Martha? Yeah. Mm. Yeah, because we were, we were thinking about this earlier, the fact that in a show where a lot of people are perceived by the wider community to have killed themselves, J, uh, JD actually killed uh, Heather Chandler and Kurt and Ram. So the first three, quote-unquote, suicides um, were actually murders covered up. So the only people that actually attempt to kill themselves are Martha 
and to a lesser degree Heather Mack. Mm. So, and and both of them ex- like have that same backlash of oh you're only doing it because the top the kids though. yeah exactly. Yeah. Um, so you're right. It's such a critique of um, what we do to try and help people struggling with their mental health when they're actually alive, mm. versus versus what we say we would have done had we known once they're dead. Let's discuss the queer representation within <laughs> Heather's. Kirsty Birch is our resident queer today. Oh, do you want to do you want to dive into that one? Yeah. So uh, as mentioned many a time. Uh, in our discussion, uh, JD mm. murders Curtin Ram. That he does. And also, like, manipulates Veronica into being his accessory for murder mm-hmm. as well. Yep. Like, a uh-huh. really cute dynamic. She uh, she actually kills one of them in the film. Oh, snap. Yeah, so Is it she... obvious that Kirsty Birch and I have not seen the film? <laughs> <laughs> oh, does she? She I mean, yes, I remember that. Oh, I recall because I was very well prepared for this episode and not relying on the fact that I am intimately acquainted with the stage show. That's all right. We're gifted in in different ways. Um, Yeah, so he murders them uh, and stages it as a suicide. Yes. And uh, gets Veronica to write their suicide note in which she and uh, JD, well, I mean JD, like dictates it, yeah. I think, her. and I think she like and she her. writes it, yeah. um, saying that they were gay lovers, mm-hmm. and they died to hide their gay forbidden love for the mm. world um, from the world. from the world, from the world. <laughs> yeah, died to hide their gay forbidden love from the world, yes, um, because how yeah. shameful is how homosexuality? Shameful? In the 80s, Homosexuality is what just came out of... Homosexuality. I feel like Frankenfurter. Yeah. Um, in the 80s, like, it, it was yeah. pretty shameful. Like, like, fair enough. I... I devastating. Yeah. That, I um, mean, there's still, like, queer youth still internalise homophobia in 2020. So, yeah. like, mm. that's been something yeah. consistent. And, and particularly when you are Kurt and Ram and you have grown up yeah. in a very toxic uh, environment mm. at home... With a lot of internalized misogyny and, mm. and everything like that, of course, that the the logical progression is mm. that you would also potentially be ashamed of, yeah. of that. It's yeah. believable, yeah. And yeah. I think like I think homophobia and toxic masculinity go hand in hand, oh. absolutely. Because the ultimate fear of a man who has um, been raised uh, on toxic masculinity is I don't want to be perceived as gay. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like oh, I'm not going to wear pink. I'm gay. No, yeah. hang on. I'm not going <laughs> to... I don't want to wear pink because I don't want to come across as gay. Exactly. Yeah. Can't affiliate me with yeah. the homosexuals. <laughs> <laughs> That's the hashtag from today's episode. Hashtag homosexuals. <laughs> um, yeah, so they die at the end of Act 1. Mm. And then to kick off Act 2, we have um, Dead Gay Son. Yes. <laughs> what a title. Um, sung by Kurt and Ram's fathers. Yes. Um, at the funeral. Yep. Again, very performative. Um, yeah. One of uh, Kurt's dad. It doesn't really matter. One of their dads is like, "Oh, our sons were pansies." And yeah, that it is was Kurt's disgusting. Dad. How could you be okay with this? And uh, yeah, Ram's father stands up and sings this big song about. It's okay, and we should celebrate our dead gay sons and 
how boys died and it shouldn't be in vain and it's mm. okay we love them anyway um uh, but you, like you said it's performative it's very performative because you know it's so easy to say yeah. that after the fact but like would you have followed through and been yeah. a supportive father to your gay son if he were still alive? Yeah, it's easy to love your dead gay son mm. when there's no supporting left to be done. Yeah. Oh, what a rhyme. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Lyricist, Kirsty Birch. Stop it. Um, yeah, of course it's easy to love your dead gay son. You don't have to actually go through the hard times with them and yeah. learn how to be okay with that and in the 80s you know it would have been a lot of learning for a a parent to do to be okay with your queer child yeah um so yeah it's it's a bit of a weird scenario um and very much makes light of it and then just moves on yeah just Mm. like and then it's it's just oh yeah they were gay and ha 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 we made out once too as the dads yeah and then we kind of just which doesn't forget about it. which doesn't happen in the film does it Lars? Uh, no it doesn't get to that extent the the phrase I love my dead gay son is in the in the film it has uh, one of their fathers standing at the coffin uh, kind of openly weeping and saying. It doesn't. I think he says something like, "It doesn't matter to me that you were a pansy. I love you anyway. I love my dead gay son." Wonderful. Oh so we're God. still we're still using homophobic yeah. rhetoric yes. while doing that. Yeah, like. And, and I mean, there's a lot of that. There's a lot of casual homophobia used to put somebody else down all oh, throughout yeah. the film. There's, there's mm. a moment just after Heather Chandler's funeral where Kurt and Ram are bullying the nerdy kid, and they like have him in a headlock, and they're like, "Say you love big cocks," oh, and like yuck. that's. You know, that that is one of the incidents that kind of spurs JD to going, maybe I should kill them. Not not the place that you should. <laughs> no, no, no. Not no. what you should do. But uh, but a lot of characters use it. There's a lot of um, just like casually calling people a homophobic slur in order yeah. to, to put them down, which is very reminiscent of the time period. Yeah. And I think overused, again, to satirize the fact that it's, yeah. it's wrong. Mm. But not openly critiqued yeah. in any yeah. way. It just I, is kind of normalized. I don't think there was much critiquing there. Mm. It was kind of just a joke, and uh, yeah. queer people are just a joke. It still feels a little bit like queerness is the punchline. Yeah, it really yeah. feels yeah. Like, like that. Like the fact that um, it feels a little. And interestingly enough, Lawrence O'Keefe, who wrote, who is one of the writers for Heather's, also wrote. Legally Blonde, mm. and I think the I think Gay or European is the dead gay son equivalent in this yes. show, yes, and yes, the yes. fact that like is he gay or European is like the punchline of that song, and like the dad who sings it like starts off does this whole preamble, and then he's like I want the world to know I love my dead gay son is the funny punchline that yeah, we get to mm. yeah like this is. Um, Truly, when I listen to the soundtrack of Heather's, I skip this song because I just am s- I can't hear it any either. I, I it leaves a bad taste in my mouth. Mm, I'm a bit over like it. it. Yeah. See, maybe because I haven't been as exposed to the musical as you guys, I feel that Dead Gay Son kind of does the same thing that Blue does, and because I I, th- I think yeah. the song is quite good. I think it's mm. it's catchy and really enjoyable to mm. to listen yeah. to, but it does the same thing where it kind of paints a veneer over what's being said by the fact that the song is quite good. 
yeah. and quite enjoyable and easy to listen to. Yeah. When, but then again, when you start to when you like break it down and start to think about it, it's like, oh, is this? You know, it, it becomes a they lot more. They did rewrite right? Dead Gay Sun. Oh, did, did they? they did. They changed some lyrics, and they could have done a lot better. Mm. Um, I don't even know what like the lyric changes really were. I'd have to look it up. But yeah, I just know um, there's some versions that I listen to, and I'm like, oh, that's not what we did. Yeah, mm. but I yeah. don't think like it didn't. It doesn't change the content of it. Exactly. No. But I I feel like the lyric changes that they made were completely redundant. Yeah. Um, because they still just made light of queerness and then threw it in the bin. Like yeah, it was whatever. Um, what a sad thing. If if Kurt and Ram had killed themselves yeah. because they were so ashamed of their queerness together, um, that's that's just horrible. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I'm everyone's... sure is not remotely fictitious. Yeah, it's quite very probable that something like that has happened and will continue to happen. Yeah. And um, yeah, for the dad to be performative about it... Um, and just, like, there's no mourning. You don't see any mourning at that funeral at all. No. Except for Martha, who's, like, crying. The yeah, mm-hmm. like, halfway through dead. that song, like, two minutes later, there's, like, the disco break. Yeah. They're up there, disco dancing. Yeah. And that, the, on top of that. But I wonder, like, how, how much of that are the writers going, we need to up the satire and make it, take it so far that everybody knows that it's ridiculous what's going on, that it can't be conceived in a kind of naturalistic way I think it's a fine line and I don't think they nail it here I think they nail it elsewhere but not here I feel like they just haven't critiqued it enough you don't it's not obvious enough what they're trying to do yeah like Um, I think you do like on surface level you look at that song and you're like oh it's nice yeah that they that they actually like accepted it and like immediately after JD's line is that like um oh what's that I hear like inclusion love and acceptance like what a good day to be in Sherwood, Ohio. Like, he's he's being, like, sarcastic because yeah. Veronica got mad at him before the number that um, he killed them. And she says, what good could possibly come from this? And he's yeah. like, wait and see. Mm-hmm. And so then it's like, oh, this is the good that's come from yeah. this. This, this pretense that we, we, like, think that we now are okay with queerness, mm-hmm. even though no mm-hmm. one actually alive is openly queer. And we're not okay with that. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's it. I just don't think they did it well enough. Yeah. Like, but also, it might be one of those scenarios that if ever this does actually get staged, like, on Broadway, for example, mm. maybe they will take a look at Take a and go, this hasn't aged well. Mm. Maybe we'll pull a blue and rewrite this song too. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be nice. And I think they, they've shown that they have the capacity to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what about the the POC representation in Heather's? Oh. Because uh, no. the the film, uh, all of the major players are are white. Uh, they're very affluent people as well. Uh, but it's kind of become a tradition that in the stage show, Heather Duke is commonly played by a person of color. It feels like. They've gone, oh, for the sake of diversity, we'll pick one character that can be played by a person of colour. And that just happens to be the most evil character in the whole show. <laughs> yeah. Being Heather Duke. Maybe other than JD, the most, Heather Duke is the most morally reprehensible character yeah. in the show. The most diabolical, backstabbing yeah. person. Yeah. The one mean girl. The one who sings Shine a Light Reprise Ooh. in which she literally tries to convince Heather Mack to kill herself. Mm. 
And you and can't come back from that. <laughs> that that also stands out because again, there is like no reason that any of the characters couldn't be portrayed by people of color. Yeah, there, no, there exactly. Is absolutely no reason. We're in American high American school. school. Yeah. yeah. Those places are diverse. They existed. I mean, more more so in some places than others, but yeah. like there are black people and there are people of color in yep. American high schools. Mm-hmm. Just yeah, I, I think it's it, it, whether that was the intention or not. It is very telling that Heather Duke was the character. Yeah. It was like this. This will be our our POC role. Yeah, it's yeah. just like off the top of my head. I think that in the original off Broadway cast, it was played by Alice Lee, um, who is an Asian American woman. And then in the West End production, she was played by Tashan Williams, who is oh incredible. <laughs> who then went on to like play Celia in The Color Purple, like oh, wow. like phenomenal, okay. phenomenal performer. And in the West End production, in addition to Keeping Your Welcome, they also wrote two new songs, one of which Heather Duke gets to sing because she doesn't otherwise get much of like a, mm-hmm. like a, like spotlighted singing role other than when she's like trying to convince the other characters yeah. to kill themselves um, or bullying Veronica about her sex life. <sighs> you know, Heather Duke, great character all around. <laughs> um, but yeah it's it's the fact oh i was gonna say heather Duke gets a new song in the west end version called never shut up again which is a bop it gives her more of a character arc it does it, it gives does her depth that yeah. she doesn't have otherwise no because you're like oh i see why you do this it's because you just want to be absolute yeah. queen b like yeah. you see her motivation at least yeah and because she's just been belittled by yes yes, Chandler yes the whole time of course she's angry yeah does that excuse her being awful no, no. <laughs> And, and but, it's, it, but it's a person of colour playing this role mm. consistently. This role that, where the character's awful. Mm. And I've, our issue isn't that a person of colour is playing an awful character. The issue becomes when the, the only yes. prominent person of colour within the piece plays an awful person. Yep. And it kind of normalises the idea that... Oh, yeah, the, it's the just... black actor is the villain. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're right. It's The issue is that it's the there's only one person of colour in the role and you're associating them with the most evil character. Yeah. You're villainizing mm. their melanin, mm. which already happens in their everyday life. Yeah. Yeah. Less of that, please. Yeah. Uh, I also just want to very quickly point out the fact that in the film, everybody is so affluent. It's like, like you, I think in, in, this, in the stage show, Veronica is supposed to come from like a, a lower socioeconomic background than the Heather's. But in the film, she has, like, the biggest mansion with, like, a fountain in the back garden and the croquet setup is is there. And it's like, like, why are all stories about rich people, please? Rich white people. We're rich white people. In can America. We just, can we just not have, just less I've of heard that. that story. Yeah. yeah. I've seen it's Ridley so Bond. I've yeah. seen Clueless. Yeah. I've seen every movie that was made in the 90s. Yeah. But it also it also kind of like highlights the fact that you have somebody like Veronica who's just like oh my life isn't great and I'm, I, like everything's bad when actually she is so well off in in the film and it's like well people have like have some perspective please like yeah. all of the characters have some perspective yeah at least yeah. in the musical uh, she seems to have like ta- been taken down a peg in terms of class like yeah. Heather Chandler like makes fun of her house. Um, I believe her line is, you were throwing your panties at that new kid and by the looks of your house, I don't even think you can afford panties, which is like (laughs) a great line. Great line. (laughs) Um, So at least some of that is taken out in the musical version. So I almost don't want to talk about this because 
oh, the concept of it is gross to me, but I think we're going to talk about it to critique it. Y'all, tell us about Ellis. <laughs> tell us about the TV version of Heathers. So a couple of years ago, they rebooted Heathers uh, for TV. Uh, I think they did 10 episodes. Uh, and in this version of it, the Heathers were so diverse. You had a plus-sized woman as Heather Chandler, who was a uh, body positivity uh, social media icon. Uh, Heather Duke, I think, was a gender-fluid person. And Heather McNamara was biracial. Hmm. And so so you have all this diversity... Flaunted, and not only that; these are the popular kids. Yeah, which on paper I'm like, that sounds cool yeah. and an interesting way to take this, uh, to, to to take this concept. It sounds great in theory. Awesome. What was we it? Have representation. Yeah. What was mm. it like in practice, Ellis? <laughs> oh, that's uh, not good. <laughs> it's not good because you then have Veronica and JD, who are kind of stereotypical white people. Going, oh my god, these politically correct people are shoving everything down our throats, oh, taking oh. away our freedom of speech. We can't say anything to oppose them, otherwise we'll be ruined socially. That's why they have to die, essentially. And that's why they're like the evil popular kids. Like, mm-hmm. they're wielding their political correctness for evil. Yeah. And uh, I've got a... I've got Whose a... idea? Who greenlit this? I, I have don't no know. idea. Somebody who... This read... is going in the exact opposite direction yes yeah. of where we're trying to go yeah and uh, I've got a I've got a quote from uh, Samantha Allen uh, who wrote for the Daily Beast who said if you believe that kids these days are fragile snowflakes mm-hmm. that political correctness is running amok and that LGBT people are now society's true bullies this new Heathers is the show for you yay oh. I feel and... I feel bullied and victimized by the queer community. It's... That was really sarcastic. <laughs> I just I think you probably needed to see how much I eye rolled then in my face. And it's a it's an oral and uh, audio media, but please know how sarcastic I'm being when I say I feel bullied by the queer community. And look, I bullying me, Kirsty. <laughs> so I'll hold for I feel that I feel that like like a lot of critical response to this show was along that vein of like, this is bad, this is wrong, the uh, like Stop villainizing Stop. the people who have fought so hard for representation. Yeah. Exactly. When and, they finally get it. And I feel like this this is a good time to rant about political correctness gone mad, which is a, a phrase that I just hate and Ooh. despise so much. Because down with anti PC culture. Because <laughs> a lot of people out there saying, Oh, we can't say anything anymore, we can't make jokes about anything anymore. Turns out you can say whatever the fuck you like. You can make a joke about whatever the fuck you like. But you are not exempt from the consequences no. of what happens when you say those things. You know, I, 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 uh, I watch a lot of stand-up comedy and I feel that you are able to find comedy everywhere. Yeah. Mm. It's the way you go about it that, that, that kind of determines... Whether or not it's an acceptable joke yeah. for the time period. Like, if yeah. you feel like you have to be inflammatory and say things that aren't politically correct, 
Maybe you're just not funny. Yeah. Mm. Hot take. Yeah, that's that's exactly <laughs> it. <laughs> and and a lot, uh, one one thing that that I hear a lot as well is like people referring to uh, Mel Brooks and saying you couldn't make a Mel Brooks film these days because everybody is so politically correct. Uh, first off, you couldn't make a Mel Brooks film because you're not Mel Brooks. And <laughs> <laughs> I, I recommend, I, I'd like to recommend a, a video essay by Lindsay Ellis. It's called <laughs> uh, Mel Brooks, The Producers and the Ethics of Satire About Nazis. And she goes into a lot of detail about why, what Mel Brooks does and why it is uh, humor used as political uh, and cultural commentary as opposed to people who just make and say awful things and yeah. then expect yeah. to get away with it because, yeah. oh, Mel yeah. Brooks made a film about racism. Yeah, he made a film about racism. Do you see all the racist characters in Blazing Saddles? Mm-hmm. They are idiots. Yeah, like mm-hmm. it's the difference between the abusive relationship in Phantom of the Opera and the abusive relationship in Heathers. In mm-hmm. Phantom of the Opera, it's excused and it's not critiqued and the Phantom comes off as the anti-hero. In Heathers, JD is very obviously the villain. And it's a, it's a really important um, point to make around framing. Yeah. That, you know, just because you're seeing racism on your screen doesn't mean that it's being condoned. Like, you have to see racism presented in a poor light in order to make it go away. Yeah. Hot mm-hmm. take. I'm, I, sorry, I just want to point out, I'm not going to sit here and say that Mel Brooks doesn't have any issues, but I, he, he's great. He's so great. And I would be very interested to discuss him on a film of his on okay. the podcast. put it on our list. I, I, I probably already have. Yeah. Speaking um, of which, if you've got anything that you'd like to hear us critique, dear listeners, please hit us up. I would like to say, just closing the political correctness gone mad debate, I just think that political correctness is a very way too long of a way of saying not being a dick yeah like that's all political is. correctness is somebody being like hey it um i don't really like it when you use that word to describe me or like i don't really like you treating me like that and somebody saying i don't give a shit i'm gonna say what i want about you like you're being a primary school bully yep. if yeah. you're trying to push back against political correctness if you're like i oh how dare you suggest that i use different pronouns for you how no, dare no, no, no. you suggest that i that i not use this one racial slur mm. that's weighted and rooted in your oppression like it's it's literally the the least inconvenient thing for you yeah. to just every now and then check in on the language that you're using like it's so easy your rights are not being infringed asking you to use language mm. that is respectful to people who are already oppressed in our society. Like, mm. stop being a primary school bully. I, I think that's so... It's so telling. If you're somebody who is up in arms about political correctness, mm. I think you need to take a long, hard look at yourself and mm. go, how much of a fragile ego do I have? And how how much immaturity am I showing right now that something as simple as being corrected on something very straightforward and mm. very minor, that it's not a correct, it's not a critique on you as a person, it's just... A critique on maybe something that slipped out of your mouth because mm. we like I've accidentally misgendered people and then yeah. they're like, "Oops, sorry, they." Um, yeah. Like it's, I think that if you are somebody that feels threatened by this, mm. I think you need to take a look at yourself and go, "Maybe I need to work on how insecure, like my insecurities mm. and something that's underlying this because mm. I need to grow a thicker skin to be able to take on criticism mm. so that I know how best to treat." 
other people in a respectful way. Mm. All right, fam. Do we rate or ruin Heather's? Oh, Kirsty Birch is giving me like slanty yeah, eyes. No, I think we, I think we rate Heather's. I think we do too. I think we rate mm. Heather's. Heather's uh, critiques itself enough yes. that it knows what it's doing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think we've we spoke about this a lot when we were in Heather's. Mm. Is um, there's just two ways that you can look at Heather's. You can take it at surface level. Oh yeah. And if you take surface at if you take Heather's at surface level, I ruin it. Oh, she bad. It's yeah. bad. It's a terrible. Story. Why are we showing this? Everyone's mean to each other. This guy's killing people. Um, it's just terrible. Yeah. Uh, but if you look just a little bit deeper yeah. to understand it, yeah, I think I rate it. I think for its time, it was doing a, like big work. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but yeah. I, I would agree with you. I, I rate Heather's as a feminist work. Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, I think the film, even for its time, surprisingly critical of a lot of things, particularly when it's made by two men yeah. or written and directed by men yeah. um, and so also the fact that there are so many female characters yeah. that, yeah. Are, that are well Amazing. written and three dimensional yeah Re- really really Ooh. cool yeah yeah. Christy thank you so much for coming thank on and talking me. with us I am so happy you it's were been here a fun it's been so wonderful yeah. it's yeah. evening now but yeah. Yeah. yeah it's dark outside it's, I mean it's winter I arrived in the afternoon you did exactly um, I'm so happy that you were here thank you for being a strong independent opinionated woman Anytime. Um, it's my favourite thing to I do. I love that you have a lot of opinions and I love that you share them so with us. So many opinions. We love you. Oh, um, love you've you. now achieved the same status as Josh Valperio, friend of the podcast, Kirsty Birch. Oh, thank you so Congratulations. much. Congratulations. You're our friend. <laughs> and we'd love to talk to you in future episodes about fat phobia because... Fat phobia. Let's talk about fat phobia. Yeah. Let's do it. Yeah. Mim, if, if other people want to be our friends, where can they find us? Oh, God, be our friends. Uh, we are on Instagram at Feminism Ruins Everything Pod. We are on Facebook Feminism Ruins Everything dash a feminist podcast. I just changed it. Um, so find us there with our slightly different name. And on Patreon, if you would like to support us and get the bloopers from this episode, of which there were many, um, <laughs> go to patreon.com forward slash feminism ruins everything pod. Uh, if you're listening to us on Apple iTunes, please uh, give us a comment. We'd give us that. a rating. We'd love to hear it. Uh, what you think we're doing well, what you think we could improve on, yeah. uh, any recommendations for things that we should cover. Or Please, guests. Guests. Send them all our way. We want to hear all of it. Kirsty Birch, we love you. Friend of the podcast. Friend of the you. podcast, Kirsty Birch. Yeah. Um, thanks, listeners. I uh, hope you enjoyed our Heather's episode. See ya. Take Bye. care. Feminism ruins everything. 
Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.